these letters are called pastoral letters because Paul's not writing them to church congregations like he does you know, Galatians and Colossians and Ephesians and things like that. He's, he's writing them t- uh, to these men who have been called to lead these uh, congregations, to lead those churches. And these are letters of encouragement. They're letters of exhortation from an apostle to his co-laborers in the faith, uh, offering them guidance in how to lead their churches in gospel ministry. Uh, and so this letter to Titus, it's going to give us a better understanding. Maybe you've been curious, like, what does a pastor do uh, for the rest of the week? You know, does he just work on Sundays? How does this, what is this, how does this work? Um, but it's going to give us a better understanding of what pastoral ministry looks like. It's going to give us a better understanding of a, what church ministry looks like. And what we're going to find is that both of these things have to be rooted in the ever-deepening personal ministry of the gospel. And so this morning, we're not even going to get beyond Paul's greeting in this letter. And we're going to see, uh, we're going to be reminded already of what the gospel is capable of. So I want to read this, Titus 1, 1 through 4. And then I want to pray for the Lord's help in communicating his word. And then we will we'll dig in. So Titus 1, 1 through 4. Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. In his own time, he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father, Christ Jesus our Savior. One long sentence in the Greek. Paul, a man of many words, right? Let's pray for this this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the gospel that's represented even as Paul greets a brother. And I pray this morning that you would take this time through the preaching of your word and help us see the beauty, the transforming power of the gospel not just in Paul's life, not just in Titus's life, uh, but in our own, and give you praise. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you've noticed that we've started to, to sort of return to normal, whatever that looks like, and, uh, and to think about as we go forward from here, and as things open up even more and, and things like that, it's, it's exciting for us to think about um, really an opportunity in some ways to sort of restart or relaunch as a church, as a church plant, right? Um, but then that brings all kinds of, of questions that are really fun to think about too, like, like what, um, what opportunities do we have for new ministry? What, what, uh, you know, what, what sort of programs do we need to have here at the church? How do we focus on outreach in the community? You know, what, what else can we do? All of these things, those are exciting things. And I think um, one of the things that we'll always be faced with is this, um, this temptation to lean on programs or, or personalities or even just our presence here in the community. But we know this, that none of those things in and of themselves have the power to save, right? We can be a church here in the community, but that means nothing if it's not infused with the power of the Spirit and the Word of God. And, and the, um, the transforming power of the gospel. I can be a charismatic preacher, but if I'm not communicating the word of God, it's powerless. We can have every program for every age, for every uh, uh, 
type of, of person in the community, but if it's not um, centered on the transforming power of the gospel, it's worthless. It's just busy work, right? And so we need to understand this, and, and we're going to get this from our passage this morning. If the gospel is going to bear fruit in the ministry of the church, and we're really going to see this as we unfold Titus as a letter, but if the gospel is going to bear ministry, bear, or bear fruit in the ministry of the church, it's got to continually bear fruit in the people of the church. The ministry of the church comes from the members of the church, and those members are members of one another because they've been united together in Christ through the gospel. And so if we're going to have success in ministry here at Redeemer, we've got to, we have to believe that the gospel really does transform lives, right? Including our own. We've got to expect, not just believe that it does, but expect it to. We've got to expect that the gospel will produce godliness in our lives and in the lives of those to whom we minister. And Paul's greeting to Titus, it's way more than just a greeting. And it's going to actually help us uh, be reminded of the gospel's power to transform lives. So I want to work our way back through it here. Verses 1 and 2 this morning. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Just in the first 11 words, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, there is are a bucket loads of grace in those words. We, not, we, 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 we can miss it super easily. We can overlook the transforming power of the gospel just from those words. It's easy to gloss over those words because when we think about Paul, what do we think about him as? Servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, right? The guy who wrote a whole bunch of the New Testament, Right? But he wasn't always that way. He was once an enemy of God and a persecutor of Jesus Christ. In his first letter to Timothy, Paul referred to himself formerly as a blasphemer, as a persecutor, as an arrogant man whose actions were fueled in ignorance and unbelief. Not the same thing as what he just described himself as, right? Listen to his confession from Acts 26 when he was on trial before King Agrippa. Acts 26, 9 through 11. He says, in fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme since I was terribly enraged at them. I pursued them even to foreign cities. Paul servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul once spoke for and acted under the authority of who? Whom? Who? The chief priests. And he was an enemy of Christ. And while Paul was on his way, you know this story from Acts, to uh, Damascus to persecute even more Christians, Jesus appeared and made himself known to Paul, showed him who he really was. He changed Paul's heart. He gave Paul, a new mission, and now Paul speaks and acts under the authority, not of the chief priest, but of God himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that Paul did to bring about this change. It came about only by the sovereignty of God, who chose to extend his grace to a man who admittedly was terribly enraged at God's people. 
who deserved nothing himself except God's judgment for his rebellion against God. This is the transforming power of Jesus Christ. We can't miss in Paul's communication of who he is now, what God has done. None of you in here, including my wife, knew me before God changed my heart. I'm pretty sure I was like 13. I I don't think I knew any of you then. You didn't know me before God changed my heart, before he transformed my life through the gospel. In fact, most of you here have only ever known me as a pastor, whether you came with me from Cross Point or from the other churches to plant this church. And so it can be difficult to think of me as once an enemy of God through my words and actions. Colossians tells us that we were once hostile in our minds, expressed in our evil actions. It can be easy to overlook the fact that I'm, I'm a man who was desperate in need of God's grace, and I continue to be a man who's desperately in need of God's grace, even as I continue to communicate that to others. And when you overlook my need, then that's, that's, a, that's easy to miss opportunities that God has given you to be the agents of grace in my life. As my church family, people who encourage me with the gospel when I grow weary, people who confront me with the gospel when I'm blind to my own sin that remains. Now, the same is true for each of you. Some of you have known each other in this room for, for years. Maybe you have known each other before, uh, before you came to Christ. But it's been so long that it can be difficult to remember that each of you was once an enemy of God, expressed in your hostile actions and thoughts. And that God rescued you, and he changed your heart by his grace. Others of you don't really know anyone else here beyond your time at Redeemer. These relationships are new, and they're still forming. And considering we've only existed a year and a half, and a year of that was overshadowed by a pandemic and and staying at home and things like that, it makes it difficult to focus then or get deeper and see the transforming power of God's grace in one another's lives. And that's why you'll hear me continue to talk about why membership is so vital at this church. As members of one another at Redeemer, we're making a promise to each other to help keep God's transforming grace in view through the gospel. We are admitting together that we need help to grow. That we easily overlook God's transforming grace in our own lives, let alone in the lives of others. And, and we, we're recognizing that God has not saved us to finish this life out alone, but to do it together, to flee, as he tells Timothy, from youthful passions and to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. A heart that's been transformed and is being transformed by grace. You see, every one of us has times in our lives when we fail to see the gospel's ongoing work in our own lives, right? Or when we stop expecting it to produce fruit in the lives of others. We just don't see it, and we get dry. Don't you want brothers and sisters in Christ who can remind you of Christ's power in those moments? We're blind to our own blindness. Don't you want to remind them when, when they find themselves in those moments? If you do, then why not take seriously the, 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 the call 
to become members of one another in Scripture. And to commit to the long-haul work of God's grace with one another here. If this is your home church, check the membership box on the care card. Or just talk to me afterward about what it looks like to become a member here at Redeemer. God transformed Paul's life through the grace of Christ. And he made Paul his servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. You see, Paul in his ministry wasn't just called to start churches. He didn't want to just see people's faith started. He wanted to see them strengthened as well. His ministry wasn't just about people coming to faith in Christ. It was also about them growing in faith in Christ. Paul spent most of his second, uh, his second missionary journey going back to the churches that he had begun purely for the, 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 the mission to strengthen them in the faith and encourage them. He wanted them to believe more and more of God's truth and because of that belief then obey it more and more. You see, that the truth that Paul is referring to here in verse 1, that this, this truth, knowledge of the truth that leads to, godli- leads, blah, blah, leads to godliness. This is the gospel message found in the whole of Scripture. It's not just an evangelistic presentation, but all-encompassing, the all-encompassing proclamation of the mystery of Christ hinted at in the Old Testament and fully revealed in the New Testament. God used Paul as one of his servants to reveal the fullness of Christ to people in his day and now to us because we have his word, his words as God's word in scripture. You see, all we need for faith and knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness is found right here. This is it. But knowledge of the truth is be, has to be more than just a grasp on what this says. We have to, we have to we have to know more than just what the Bible says. There's been this, this trend recently of prominent figures contemporary, in contemporary Christian circles uh, coming out and denying the faith that they once held or, or, or claimed to, to hold. Bible teachers, bloggers, musicians, a lot of these people were communicators of the truth that they now deny. Maybe you've heard the term, they're calling it deconstruction of their faith. Now, our culture sees this and jumps on that as evidence that what we claim to believe is not true. But as uh, for, for those of us who've been transformed by the grace of Christ, this so-called deconstruction is just more of a reminder that, that simply knowing what the Bible says does not lead someone to godly living. We actually have to believe what it says, too. We can't just know it. We need to believe it. Faith is taking God at his word. Faith isn't just believing in God, it's believing God. That's what Paul's getting at here in verse 1. His mission to minister to others with the gospel so that they know it and believe it and grow in godly living as a result. You see, true faith will lead to godliness. Those things are never separate. Leads to godliness in the lives of those who not only know the truth, but who also believe it. We should actually expect to see godliness increase in each other's lives. Not because we can produce it ourselves, but because we're confident that God continues to work through his indwelling spirit as we rely more and more on his truth, which is his word. You remember what, when we went through the book of James last year? What did James say? Faith without works is what? Dead. 
Paul's going to talk a lot about works in his letter to Titus, but we're going to quickly see that just like James, Paul speaks about good works as the fruit of gospel transformation and not the root of it. Knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And that growth in godliness is fueled by the hope of eternal life. Whenever we see the word hope in Scripture, especially in Paul's writings, we need to understand that it doesn't just mean wishful thinking or, or, or a healthy dose of optimism. No, biblical hope, what I just described is worldly hope. Biblical hope, Christian hope is certainty, it's confidence, it's assurance brought about by the unbreakable promises of a God who cannot lie. This is what Paul's talking about here. The hope of eternal life is the certainty of eternal life for those who believe. That should do something in us when we think about that. That leads us to want to to grow in obedience to the God who has guaranteed that for us. You see, it's uh, why is it certain? Because God promised it. What does Paul say? Before time began, which means that he promised it before humans began, which means that the fulfillment of God's promises can never be rooted in our character or in anything we say or do. We don't get God's promises by our efforts. It has to be rooted in God's character and everything God says and God does. God's character is pure and it's true. He cannot lie. Paul just told us this in his greeting to Titus. This is a stark contrast to the Cretans, we'll find out next week as we dig into chapter 1. It's a stark contrast to the Cretans on this island to whom Titus is ministering. It's a stark contrast to their false god Zeus who was known as a seducer and a deceiver of people. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? Man, I think we could all benefit from just meditating on that for quite a while. It's right there. It's true. But functionally, I think we we tend to make it untrue in our lives more than we believe it. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him, before he even created us. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. This is crazy language. This is amazing. 2 Timothy 1.9, he saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This is why Paul calls those who have faith God's elect in verse 1. Not because we did anything, not because we have any merit to to earn it on our own, but because God chose us to be objects of his mercy and grace according to his own purpose and pleasure. You see, the, the beauty of the purpose and pleasure of a merciful God who cannot lie is that when people hear and believe the gospel, the hope of eternal life becomes their hope of eternal life. If you're a believer in here, at one point you've heard the gospel and you said, that's me he's talking about. I am condemned. I 
need to be forgiven. I need to be reconciled to God. I can't do that on my own. I need someone to do it for me. Enter Jesus Christ, who came and lived the life of obedience we should have lived and didn't, who died the death on the cross to pay the punishment for our sins, who rose from the grave to reconcile us to God and give us this certainty of eternal life. Every one of us as believers has come to that personal understanding and belief that this is true for me. And along with that, then, the hope of eternal life has become our hope. It becomes our certainty. And the certainty in the faithful love and compassion of our promise-keeping God is what motivates us then to rely more and more on his word and live in obedience to it. God promised this and it came true. What else does he have to say? Paul still serves as an apostle to us today as we read his letters and scriptures. His words serve to strengthen our faith and to help us grow in our obedience to Christ through our growing confidence in the hope of the gospel. Two phrases I will say over and over until I have no more voice to say it. We grow in our dependence upon Jesus and in our confidence in him. And those things work together. The more we grow confident of Christ and all of his promises, all of God's promises in him, the more we'll depend on him. And the more we depend on him, we, the more we see him prove trustworthy. And we'll grow more confident in him. It's not just Paul's letters that help us do that. It's all of God's word. All of God's word is truth that leads to godliness. Because it points us ultimately to Jesus Christ as the source of grace that we need in order to live godly lives. And one of the main ways God has chosen to reveal Christ to us in his word is through the faithful preaching of it. Look at verse 3. In his own time, in God's own time, he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, Grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, as an apostle, Paul was entrusted by the command of God with the preaching of his word in order to reveal the mystery of Christ through the gospel. The whole of scripture is God's revelation to us of who God is, who we are as his creation, and who we are as sinners who've uh, disrupted and, and broken that relationship with him, and his plan to redeem Every sinner who calls on Jesus in faith and restore that relationship through Jesus. God made promises in the Old Testament that pointed to the coming of Christ. God kept promises, those promises in the New Testament when Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose for ungodly sinners and gave us the source and the hope of eternal life for anyone that comes to him in faith and relies on him for salvation. That's why one of the primary responsibilities that I have as a pastor here is to preach God's word, to give myself to the ministry of the, of the word and to prayer. That's why we're going to go through and why we've gone through Old Testament books, why we, we're going through New Testament books, so that we can see the whole of Scripture and how it points us to Jesus Christ, how all of God's promises that he made are kept and yes and amen in Jesus How this God who made those promises is gracious and compassionate and cannot lie. 
That's why even when Scripture calls us to godly living, as Paul's letter to Titus will, the sermons that are, are preached out of this pulpit, whether by me or someone else, will aim to faithfully proclaim what the Scriptures proclaim. Not simply be messages about being better people or doing more good things. By God's grace, they will be messages rooted in God's grace that call us to grow in godliness because God expects it from us. But God enables us to do that. And we do that because we have confidence in Christ and we're dependent upon Jesus to help us. See, Paul's obedience to carry out what God entrusted to him, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect, and a knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life promised by a God who cannot lie before the beginning of time. All of these things that Paul's saying, this is evidence. This is, this is an example of God's transforming power through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice whom God or, or whom Paul says the command is from in, in verse uh, three. The command of God, our Savior. See, Paul's preaching, his own preaching is rooted in his own salvation. God, our Savior. He's a servant of the one who saved him and sent him out as an apostle to preach the good news of Christ's life, death, and resurrection for the salvation of sinners just like him. He opens his letter to Timothy that way, the first one. And notice what Paul calls Titus. He says, my true son in our common faith. Again, more evidence of the transforming power of God's grace through the gospel. We don't know a whole lot about Titus. He's not talked about a, a, a tremendous amount in the New Testament. But from what the New Testament does speak about him, we can gather a few things, including from right here. We know that he was one of Paul's companions and co-laborers in the gospel ministry that Paul was given to uh, by God. Uh, that, that's, he's mentioned in, in some other letters as a brother, as a, as a friend, as a, a, a co-laborer. We also know that Titus was most likely converted to Christ through Paul's gospel ministry. Paul often referred to those who came to faith in the Lord under his preaching and, and ministry. He referred to those as my sons and daughters in the faith. And this is what he calls Titus here. Galatians 2 tells us that Titus was Greek. And so when Paul calls him my true son in our common faith... That right there is the epitome of what Paul's message is. That's the, that is the evidence of the gospel ministry given to Paul by God, and it was bearing fruit through Paul's obedience to preach the mystery of Christ. You remember from Ephesians when we went through it, what Paul said that mystery was? In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, Partners in the promise in Christ through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Paul can call Titus his true son in their common faith because they both have received the, re received the same grace from the same God through the same Christ. They've both been transformed by the same power and have become partners in the promise in Christ through the gospel. Paul finishes the greeting of his letter with a prayer of blessing over his true son in the faith. Grace and peace 
Grace and peace. These are, these are words that Paul often uses to summarize all the blessings that Christ has secured for all of his people. You see, it's God's grace that has brought salvation to us through faith in Christ, even though we were enemies of God because of our sin. It's God's grace that enables us to grow continually in conformity to Christ and obedience to his word. It's God's grace that has sealed us with his promised Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth and not only gives us the desire, but also the ability to live lives of godliness. It's God's grace that's given us peace with God through the sacrifice of his son. It's God's peace that gives us peace with others, reconciling with and forgiving one another and making every effort by his grace to maintain the spirit of unity through the bond of peace. It's God's peace that helps us keep our present sufferings in perspective as we remember the certainty, the Christian hope of eternal life to come. It's God's peace that answers our anxieties and with his presence and, and guards our minds and hearts in Christ Jesus that, that so much so sur- even surpasses our own understanding of it. See, grace and peace come from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior, and they're applied to our lives through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us as believers. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. One God in three persons working to transform us into his image through the power and the hope of the gospel so that we can grow in godliness and bring glory to his name. Do you have that grace and peace? Do you have knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness? Do you have the hope of eternal life? If not, why not? Why not put your trust in the God who cannot lie and and who gave his son as the sacrifice for sinners so that we can all be recipients of all that God has promised to us in Christ? Now, I want to make it clear. I'm not an apostle as Paul was. I'm a pastor like Titus was. But I have been sent out by the Lord and his family of churches to start and to strengthen a church here in Minunk through the preaching of God's word so that people would come to know Christ and grow in godliness by his grace together through the transforming power of the gospel. And I do that, you already know this, as an imperfect and fallible man, one who knows fully of my own need of continual transformation through God's grace and power. And that's why, that's why we come to hear the word and not the preacher. That's why. But here's what, what we need to understand. It's the infallible word of God that gets preached here. And as we preach, whether it's me or someone else, the infallible word of God who cannot lie. My prayer is that you along with us will see his power and grace at work in me and any other preacher that stands up here and that you'll grow more and more convinced of the truth that leads to godliness. And I pray that you then will grow more and more convinced of your own need for God's continual grace, for his transforming power and grace through the gospel, and that you'll grow more and more convinced that Christ really is at work in you, leading you to greater love for him and greater obedience to him, that you will be strengthened in the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. 
You see, if the gospel is going to bear fruit in the ministry of the church, it has to continually bear fruit in the people of the church. If we're going to have success in ministry here at Redeemer, we've got to believe, we have to be convinced, and we have to remind each other of it, that the gospel really does transform lives, including our own. How much more exciting is it than to think about what God is going to do from here on out through the ministry of this church when we first remember that God has already done some serious work in us and he continues to do that. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to, to, to overlook what God has done, but it's vital that we don't. We need to help each other remember We've got to expect the gospel to produce godliness in our lives and in the lives of others because the God who cannot lie promised that it would. So Paul, this morning, has greeted Titus and us with the transforming power of the gospel. May we be people who do the same for one another and for those who have yet to believe. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the ministry of it we're thankful that in it we find the gospel which is the power of god for salvation for those who believe first for the jew and then for the gentile there's no one who can't come to faith in christ through belief in him lord help us to be reminded of the transforming power of the gospel in our lives help us to point it out in each other's lives help us to be convinced that through your spirit and your word, as we are your mouthpieces for the gospel, that others will come to believe and grow in godliness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing.